0: Chapter Two, Diggory and His Uncle. It was so sudden and so horribly unlike anything that had ever happened to Diggory, even in a nightmare, that he let out a scream. Instantly, Uncle Andrew's hand was over his mouth. None of that, he hissed in Diggory's ear. If you start making a noise, your mother will hear it and you know what a fright might do to her. As Diggory said afterwards, The horrible meanness of getting at a chap in that way almost made him sick,
1: but of course, he didn't scream again. I'm Bethy, and this is Katie. Welcome to For Narnia and For Aslan. Katie is learning about small town life these days. She helped milk a goat for the first time this week. Bethy has just returned to Tennessee after a trip to Washington,
0: where she finished up the youth ministry position she's held for the past three years.
1: We've been friends for eight years and counting, and we love Narnia. And the delightful music that you've just heard is Dawn by Salt of the Sound. We're excited to talk about Narnia with each other and with you. So we've both
0: written a recap for the rest of the chapter. So my recap this week is, Uncle Andrew shows his dastardly nature in recounting to Diggory his long path of becoming a magician and creating the magic rings that have just sent Polly right into another world. In the end, by cowardice and conniving, he forces Diggory to take a ring himself and go looking for Polly.
1: I love that you use the word dastardly.
0: (laughs) I thought it was fitting. (laughs) I never think to use that word.
1: (laughs) 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 What's your recap, Bethy? My recap goes like this. After Polly vanishes... Diggory has to endure a long explanation of magic and his terrible uncle's cowardly pride before he finally learns how to bring Polly back. He himself must go after her by touching a yellow ring and bringing two green rings with him for his and Polly's return journey, which of course he does. (laughs) Oh, that's brilliant.
0: (laughs) I love how you narrated that from Diggory's perspective of having to endure (laughs) the
1: lecture. And the, of course, <laughs> which of course he <laughs> Well, I just feel like it's so frustrating the entire time. I really view the whole chapter from Diggory's
0: yeah. point of view because his uncle's so horrible. He's the
1: worst. <laughs> <laughs> and pretty much the whole thing is just Uncle Andrew talking. Yes, he talks the whole time. And it's all just the most self-centered, selfish things.
0: And every time Diggory says, well, what about Polly? What about Polly? What? <laughs> like, she's just vanished.
1: And Uncle Andrew won't let him get a word on edgewise. Yeah, I mean, he basically views the world as something to be used, whether that's human beings or other creatures or even just like making promises that he completely does not intend to keep. Right? Yeah. Jolly rotten of him. What <laughs> says. So what stood out to you in this chapter? I thought it was
0: interesting, the relationship between Uncle Andrew and Diggory. Like, I don't know. I was thinking that at the beginning, Uncle Andrew is trying to get Diggory in on his side, maybe as an ally, but I don't think that's actually true. I think the whole time he's just trying to coerce him eventually. Maybe he just can't tear himself free of the opportunity of having an audience because all this has been secretive
1: in his life before. Oh, yeah. I bet that is pretty satisfying to finally let someone know about it. Mm hmm. Something that stood out to me was how insistent Diggory was on right and wrong, and that he had so much to say to Uncle Andrew about that, that he was willing to speak to a grown-up very strictly about right and wrong. That's true. That's really brave of him. Yes. And just decent. Yes. (laughs) Well, he's a very decent chap. He sure is. I mean, the very last line says, and he thought then, as he always thought afterward, too, that he could not decently have done anything else. (laughs) Good for him. Seriously.
0: And I think that's pretty important in this chapter that Diggory is so golly decent (laughs) because otherwise he would have been cowed by Uncle Andrew's, I don't know, he's got a sort of aura about him and he's the adult and there's a pretty scary task ahead of Diggory and I think maybe a lesser character child might have been thrown off, you know? Yes. Gotten mixed up in all of
1: it. Definitely. And Uncle Andrew is extremely manipulative. Mm -hmm. So it would make perfect sense for anyone to fall for it. Like there's a moment where he says something very grand about himself and Mm. Diggory almost believes it.
0: Yes. Then he remembered the ugly look he had seen on his uncle's face the moment before Polly had vanished. And all at once he saw through Uncle Andrew's grand words. All it means, he said to himself, is that he thinks he can do anything he likes to get anything he wants.
1: I love that line. There's so much clarity there. And it Mm -hmm. makes me wonder how many people in this world feel that way. That they can do anything they want to get anything they want.
0: How is it put? (laughs) Do anything they like to get anything they want. There it is. Do you think that this chapter is in here mostly to show Uncle Andrew's character? Do we need it for the sake of the plot? I mean, I don't know if Lewis would have had to put much of this chapter there, just plot-wise.
1: Yeah, I do think it shows a lot about Uncle Andrew's character and that that informs the rest of our reading of the whole book, but it also gives us a little bit of history behind Narnia, which is really important. Okay, what did you notice about the history? Well, we know that Narnia came from this box that Uncle Andrew found hmm. that already was from a different world, but it was found from Atlantis. Like there's just so many levels of history involved in it. Yeah. And I could just see Lewis feeling very excited and interested in this kind of history and wanted to put it in.
0: And it's funny to get the history from Uncle Andrew's perspective. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know when we actually show up in the other world, it has a different feel.
1: Right. One last thing that I wanted to talk about is that Diggory, when he is about to go into this other world that he knows absolutely nothing about, for all he knows, he is about to die. Hmm. And the last words that he says to his uncle are, by gum, said Diggory, don't I just wish I was big enough to punch your head? And (laughs) (laughs) that just so stood out to me because I was like, oh my gosh, this kid has learned to be so bold. Mm. in just this one chapter Mm -hmm. that he is looking at this grown-up and he's like you know what I don't care if these are my last words that I ever speak I want you to know this
0: Uh, oh that's so good
1: I just loved it
0: that's brilliant and just so matter of fact like okay here's what has to happen the fact is you're awful
1: and I wish I could punch you and here we go yes (laughs) he's so clear (laughs) Cool. Well, shall we dive into some sacred reading practice? Let's do it. What do you have for us today? So today we're doing Havruta, which is a Jewish practice that pulls on the idea that two people with a text sitting between them can find truth together. They don't need an expert. They don't need other outside sources. Hmm. They can simply have a conversation together based on questions. And between the text and the two of them, they will be able to find meaning. Interesting. So how do we do it? So the way that you do Havruta is you each share a question and a possible answer. Hmm. I love this idea because it teaches that any answer is valid. And also that there's not just one true answer. Any answer can be a possible answer. And so Hmm. it's humble. And I really like that. Okay, interesting. I'm excited to see what what it's like. So the section that we're going to be looking at is a paragraph that I'll read now and it's about Uncle Andrew's godmother. Of course, said Uncle Andrew, I didn't dare open the box for a long time, for I knew it might contain something highly dangerous, for my godmother was a very remarkable woman. The truth is, she was one of the last mortals in this country who had fairy blood in her. She said that there had been two others in her time. One was a duchess, and the other was a charwoman. In fact, Diggory, you are now talking to the last man, possibly who really had a fairy godmother. There, that'll be something for you to remember when you're an old man yourself. I bet she was a bad fairy, thought Diggory. (laughs) (laughs) Good for him. (laughs) So my question, and then my possible answer, goes like this. Did fairies go extinct in our world? Like, did they actually exist and then go extinct, or did they just stop breeding with humans? Or is this a lie that she told to make herself seem more important and her magic more legitimate and fairies don't exist at all? Hmm. And my possible answer, just because I have always been the type of person that really wants fairies and things like fairies, like elves and all of that to really exist. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I I would like to think that they are real. Hmm. And my possible answer is that they have gone into hiding and they no longer are around humans. And so it's impossible for anyone to have fairy blood in them now.
0: Mm, Good possible answer. Thank you. What's your possible answer? (laughs) A possible answer. Well, that's, I can't think of another one. That's such a good one. I mean, another possible answer is that they've disappeared altogether or left the world. Mm, Like gone to a different world? Perhaps. Or faded into... A magical world it's no longer accessible to this one. But that sounds a lot like going into hiding.
1: I really like that, though, because I was not thinking of them going into hiding in a different world. I was thinking they were just hiding in our woods and forests and things.
0: Hmm. Can I ask a
1: clarifying question? Yes. In fact, you have to ask me a question and give a possible answer.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know <laughs> if this is in the spirit of Habuta or not. Okay. <laughs> My question is, are we talking in terms of what we think about reality? or what we think Lewis is saying, or what we think the narrator is saying.
1: Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, what's your possible answer?
0: (laughs) My possible answer is that the narrator is assuming that magic is real, as throughout the book, and Diggory is understanding that for the first
1: time, and Uncle Andrew has sort of understood it for a while. I really like that possible answer. (laughs) And another possibility that I would add is that the narrator is inviting us to realize for the first time that magic is real hmm. and that all of these things that we weren't sure about before are coming true
0: do we keep going with possible answers
1: if you have another but normally there's just you just share okay. one each well <laughs> <laughs> so what i love about this practice is that you can really do this with absolutely any question huh. any question that comes up in your life you can look at it in a humble tone and think well my answer is a possible answer but another person might have another possible answer. And that's just as valid as mine, which honestly, Katie, I feel like we need more in the world today. <laughs> just some more humility. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so that's Havruta. Very fun. So Katie, what scripture are we going to be diving into today? Well, let's turn to Second Peter
0: chapter 2, verse 17 through 19. So we've been talking about how Uncle Andrew is a bad egg. He doesn't think the rules apply to him. He has hurt all sorts of people, apparently, in his way to getting magical power. Obviously, he doesn't care about other people like Polly or Diggory, or even the guinea pigs that he's been experimenting on. And some of them have exploded, for the record. Very mean. Terrible. It really is terrible. And when he's talking about how he made the rings, one important piece of the process was breaking a promise to his godmother. She had given him this box and made him promise on her deathbed that he would burn it unopened. And he said, that promise I did not keep. And he goes on to say, well, you must understand that rules of that sort, however excellent they may be for little boys and servants and women, and even people in general, can't possibly be expected to apply to profound students and great thinkers and sages. No degree, men like me who possess hidden wisdom are freed from common rules, just as we are cut off from common pleasures. Ours, my boy, is a high and lonely destiny. So that's a bit of his character for us. But now I want to read 2 Peter 2, verses 17 through 19. And it's talking about false teachers, false prophets. It talks about these false teachers as bold and arrogant in verse 10. And when we get to verse 17, listen to what it says. These men are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him." And I thought that this described Uncle Andrew really well that he is promising freedom of being this special type of human, different from everybody else, and yet actually he's a slave to what's mastered him these magical obsessions. We'll see that throughout the rest of the book, that he really isn't in control of any of it, and it's turned him into a twisted version of himself.
1: Yes, it describes him perfectly, especially I connected to the line about the spring. And how he's a spring with no water. So he has all of these magical abilities that he's cultivated. And yet he knows absolutely nothing about it.
0: Mm-hmm. He can manipulate it just like he manipulates people. But he doesn't have understanding of what it really is.
1: Yes, he's sending Diggory into something that he is not quite sure how to even get back from. He says, well, I expect that if you do this, you'll reappear. But he doesn't know. And this whole book, Second Peter, I mean, is a warning against these false teachers.
0: And Peter is saying, this is how bad they are. They're awful. Stay away from them. And a good portion of the book is dedicated to saying they will be paid back for what they're doing. They're going to come to a bad end. The Lord is going to do away with them one day. Really, that's what a lot of the book is about. It's not hopeful in one sense, but it is instructive because it's saying, If you follow this kind of teacher, this kind of depraved character, you're gonna go their way, which is destruction. And I thought that there was a really wonderful passage from Diggory where he's pointing out the same thing to Uncle Andrew.
1: Yes, and it's the only time that Uncle Andrew really listens to Diggory and becomes afraid for a moment.
0: Yeah, it finally catches his attention. Uncle Andrew has just shown Diggory that he has to go after Polly in order to bring her back. And Diggory says, very well. I'll go. But there's one thing I jolly well mean to say first. I didn't believe in magic till today. I see now it's real. Well, if it is, I suppose all the old fairy tales are more or less true. And you're simply a wicked, cruel magician like the ones in the stories. Well, I've never read a story in which people of that sort weren't
1: paid out in the end. And I bet you will be. And serve you right. It's so articulate. It's exactly the right thing to say. And then the text goes on to say, of all of the things that Diggory had said, this was the first that really went home.
0: I wonder if that's why Lewis brought in the whole, well, of course, his whole premise is magic, but I think that's part of why he's playing with magic at all. I mean, we were talking about fairy godmothers, is because they're such a good basis for this understanding of good and evil. I think that he sees something in the old magic stories that we need to know for life.
1: Lewis sees them? hmm So
0: Lewis loved old epics and mythologies from all sorts of different cultures, and it's not that he believed that the mythologies were true, but I think he saw that there was something true in them, something important in them about how the world runs, and I think he saw a lot of analogies in them to spiritual truths about good and evil in the world.
1: Well, in the same way, that's what we're seeing in Lewis's work we're able to do sacred reading in it because we see truth coming out of it. Mm, That's true. There's so much that we can learn from story that would be much harder to learn on our own.
0: Hmm. Or even harder to learn if it was written out in a bullet point
1: list. Yes, or given through a lecture of some kind.
0: Mm -hmm. We believe stories and we're drawn to stories. I don't know, we can picture how to live in them differently than we can picture how to live in statements in a lecture. This is a kind of hard biblical passage to apply in our week, maybe. At least it's different than some that we look at. Oh, I don't know. I
1: see the connection this week. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Say more. (laughs) Well, I just think we need to be careful who we give power to and who we listen to. So what do you mean about giving power to people? Well... We, of course, give power to people who are in elected positions, but we can also give power to the people that we hang out with. We become like them. Mm. We give power to the things that we pay attention to. Mm. I give power to every podcast that I turn on and listen to, every song that I listen to, every show that I consume, every book that I read has power in my life to change the way that I think and the way that I view things, the Mm. way that I speak to other people. Mm -hmm. that is so true what i'm seeing is that i need to pay attention to what i'm giving power to and really ask myself is this bringing positivity into my life is this bringing more love more joy more peace patience kindness all that good stuff Mm -hmm. is this truth or is it tearing me down Mm
0: -hmm. because we're slave to whatever has mastered us exactly That is really helpful. Thinking about news sources and types of books. I mean, we were just talking about how stories shape us. And that's true of bad stories as well as good stories. Better to feed ourselves on good stuff.
1: That's true. You and I have both had conversations where we've come to the other person and said, oh my gosh, I'm reading this book or I'm watching this movie that I'm really being affected by. Whether that's like, I have had nightmares or my attitude all day has been affected by it. Yeah. You and I, especially, and I think a lot of people, are really affected by the stories that we pay attention to and that we consume. Mm Mm-hmm. It's worth paying attention to. And I don't want to say just happy or
0: positive things, because there's truth that's difficult as well, that even in a small way happens in Magician's Nephew.
1: Right, of course.
0: But it can be true and good, even if it deals with something hard. Right. So this week, what does it look like to turn away from springs without water and from slaves of depravity to sources of God's truth? Mm, There's the rub. I think one practical way for me is going to be when I see the election results coming in, that won't be the only thing that I'm paying attention to. I will make a Conscious effort to read some scripture at the same time and maybe
1: listen to some good music. Right now, I'm rereading Persuasion by Jane Austen, and it just makes me so happy. I can't help but smile while I'm reading it. It's so fun. (laughs) Can I ask what's happening right now? Well, she's spending so much time around Frederick, and her heart is just broken. And I know, and there's just been really funny small observations that have happened recently. Like the description of the brother, may he rest in peace, and, <laughs> and oh, the fights between husband and wife over which sister Frederick is falling in love oh, with. Yeah, and he's falling in love with neither, neither of, of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's been really fun. Mm. So, maybe I'll just. I'll try to read several chapters of that in the coming days.
0: I think that sounds like a really good idea.
1: It's like going on a nice walk when you've been cooped up for a while. Same feeling. Mm. Well, shall we wrap it up?
0: We shall. Here's our last paragraph of the chapter. Uncle Andrew shrugged his shoulders, walked across to the door, unlocked it, threw it open, and said, Oh, very well, then, just as you please. Go down and have your dinner. Leave the little girl to be eaten by wild animals, or drowned or starved in the other world, or lost there for good, if that's what you prefer. It's all one to me. Perhaps before tea time you'd better drop in on Mrs. Plummer and explain that she'll never see her daughter again, because you were afraid to put on a ring. By gum, said Diggory, don't I just wish I was big enough to punch your head? Then he buttoned up his coat, took a deep breath, and picked up the ring. And he thought then, as he always thought afterwards too, that he could not decently have done anything else.
1: So this was the beginnings of the comings and goings of Narnia. See you next week, with Chapter 3 of The Magician's Nephew.
0: Very godmothers. Mm.
1: Who knows? Maybe they exist. <laughs> I'm a godmother, Excellent. and I'd like to think that I have a bit of fairy in me.
0: <laughs> Ooh. Oh, wow. Excellent. <laughs> what do you consider your chief responsibility as a godmother? Hmm. Or a responsibility, I should say. Well, I think it's very important to play. Mm. <laughs> that seems very important, yes. Yeah. And I think that you seem so far like a better godmother than old Mrs. Lefay, Fay. I hope so.